I will literally chew you up and spit you out and then regurgitate your your bones. Isn't that what like snakes do? That's about right. That tracks. Yeah. Well, there you go. (laughs) Bottom line, you're afraid. Patricia. You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the show where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. Girl, we're already in season two, episode three. We are in season two, episode three. If you're not caught up, you can listen to this one, live your life. We're not going to tell you what to do. Or you can go back from the beginning, listen to them one after the other, whatever it is. There's a lot of cases. Why are you acting like you don't care? We want them to listen, girl. No, but I'm saying like you could go in any order. I don't understand why I have to explain myself like this to you. (laughs) Girl, I'm going to take the Facebook group this time. I think I can do it. And then you're going to jump in with the Instagram. So you guys, join the Facebook group. It's Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Sometimes Ellen and I just like go live in there separately to talk about the other one. It's lit, as the kids say. It is lit. I don't even know what it means, but I agree. Or you can also come and join us on Instagram. We're at The Disappeared Pod. Every Friday night, we go live at 6 p.m. called Friday Night Live. We talk about the case from earlier in the week. We also talk about what's going on in our lives and our hearts. And Patrick makes fun of me. I wear a day robe. He drinks a little. (laughs) And his daughter brings his disgusting, filthy, dirty hamster. I got to tell you, last week I was drinking a vodka orange soda. And it started a vodka orange soda revolution, girl. <laughs> Did you know it's August? Uh, what what year is it, girl? What year is it? It is 2020. Okay. <laughs> but I just wanted to let you know that it's apparently August, allegedly. Amazing. I remember August. We're also on Twitter. Twitter's still a thing. You can come there. We're also yeah. there doing stuff sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a fun outtake. You guys, season two, episode three, The Vanishing Bride, tells the story of the disappearance of Nikki McCowan. A young woman with everything to live for. She's going to marry the man of her dreams. Vanishes from an ordinary laundromat. Nobody has any answers as to where she went and what happened. Turning a family's life upside down. You're living a nightmare. You just wish you could wake up never dawned in our wildest imaginations that we may not see this woman again. The case stumps police. The case goes cold on us. It just dries up. Until an unsolved murder of a different woman offers clues. It was an anonymous tip, and they just stated that we needed to look at him as a possible suspect. Does someone know what happened to Nikki McCowan? Until they can prove it to me, she's still alive to me. This is, this is, this is, this is a story. Yeah, this whole thing takes place in Richmond, Indiana, and I keep wanting to say Richmond, Virginia. I didn't even know there was another Richmond. Uh, Well, I mean, there's a Richmond, California, which is where my mother lives, so there are several Richmonds, but I also thought it was Richmond, Virginia, until like halfway through the episode, I was like, huh, why are we in Indiana? (laughs) Oh, we've been in Indiana the whole time. But they also go to Ohio a lot in this episode, which makes me think that Ohio and Indiana are near each other, but I actually have no idea. You're so cute right now. Honestly, I, I want to make fun of you. You're so smart sometimes, and sometimes you actually still have the ability to shock me 20 years later. I don't know where any of the states are. I could not point out Nevada on a map for a million dollars, not a million. Maybe that's a little quarantine project, my love. You think? Wait, let me ask you a question. What is the capital of Wyoming? Cheyenne. Isn't that in Mississippi? No, Cheyenne. <laughs> Wait, capital of Oh, bitch. What is it? It's Cheyenne. (laughs) July 22nd, 2001. It's a summer Sunday in Richmond, Indiana. And as usual, 28-year-old Nikki McCowan attends church with her fiancé. Bobby Webster. We learn that 28-year-old Nikki McCowan attends church that morning with her fiancé, the very handsome Bobby Webster. Super handsome. They were high school sweethearts. He moved away in 1991 to move to California and then moved back around 1998 and they fell back in love, which I thought was really sweet. The whole thing about this is that their wedding is in like three weeks, you guys. It's July 22nd. They're getting married on August 18th. Put a pin in that. I've got a question about it later. Okay, great. We have some home videos. 
video of Nikki being a bridesmaid in another wedding. But they tell us it's like the only known home video of her. I know. Now remember, this is 2001. This is going to come up a lot. It's 2001. It's before cell phones were even like ubiquitous. It's way before everyone just had like a video camera on their cell phone. I don't think there's probably many home videos of me before 2001, but it made me kind of sad to think like this is it. I know. I think my dad once had one of those big over-the-shoulder ones. During the time that people had those, it made sense. But now, can you imagine carrying around like a 22-pound like camera on your shoulder? Yeah, like it's the Christmas pageant and like parents are talking to each other and they're like, yes, no, she's going to be the ham. And then they're putting in batteries. They're like giant suitcases. It's so weird. Do you kind of feel like people should have just stayed inside until we invented the iPhone? Honestly, what what were we doing? What were we doing? But yeah, this is the only home video of this beautiful little girl. It's an awesome. Hi, Mia. Hi, Al. Um, I just want to congratulate you and say uh, I love you. In the home video, she seems very cool. I just liked her. She seemed like the kind of person we'd be friends with. Absolutely. So she was with this adorable guy, Bobby, in between the time that they were in high school and he moved away. Nikki had a daughter by the name of Peyton when she was 19 years old. And she had dated this guy. And I actually watched another video on Nikki with this guy. And this guy was like, actually, I was a really, really bad partner. Oh, really? He was like, yeah. This is Peyton's dad? Yeah, Peyton's dad. He's like, Nikki oh. was wonderful. And I cheated on her. And I didn't treat her right. And she left me and she should have. <laughs> yeah. Somebody became a feminist overnight yeah. when his ex-girlfriend and mother of his child went missing. Yeah. He was like, actually, I was a pretty shitty guy. Wouldn't the world be a better place if more men were like, yeah, you know what? I was shitty. Totally. I was a shitty partner. And he had nothing but good and glowing things to say about Nikki. I know. I'm telling you, she seemed like an awesome girl. So the thing that we learn about Nikki is that she was like a good worker, really strong work ethic. To support Peyton and herself, Nikki worked for a correctional center in Dayton, Ohio. She started out as just a guard. And from there, she worked her way up to a head accountant. She really excelled in just about anything she went after. She works at a correctional facility in Dayton, Ohio, which, remember, they live in Indiana. I'm thinking it's like a six-hour flight to get to work, no? No, it's 40 miles away. <laughs> okay. <my> <laughs> it's, a, it's just a, you get in your car, you drive there. But the thing is, we learned from, from Nikki's mom, she started out there as a guard. She worked her way up to head accountant. That does not seem like a straight line. Yeah. Good for her. Well, they're just like walking by her one day and they're like, hey, Nick, you good at math? I, I got an idea. Like, yeah, no. But she wanted to be in the FBI and she I was know. currently at the time that she went disappearing. She was taking criminal justice classes. I love that. She wanted to be FBI or a U.S. Marshal. Like, she, yeah. she seems amazing. In 1998, Bobby Webster returned from California. Older and more mature, he decided Nikki was the woman for him and he proposed marriage. Nikki's parents and her nine siblings are thrilled. Oh my God, and this is the part where we learn she is one of nine children. How do you do that? How do you have not, how do you raise nine kids? Who has the money for that, the time? I think the kids raise the kids. Right. Like the mom's like, you got, you got this? Right. You got someone take those kids? <laughs> Like, I'm not raising all of them. Like, it's a trickle-down effect. Totally. It's so funny. It just reminds me how, like, to this day when I go home to my mom's house and I answer her phone, people still think I'm my older sister. Yeah, I, I mean, That I'd... never really goes away for some gays, you know what I mean? Yeah. The skin hurts less as you get older, but it never really stops. Whenever you answer the phone, it's like, hello, hi, ma'am, I'm calling from T-Mobile. And you're like, what? No, I'm always like, yes, this is Mrs. Parker. Yeah. <laughs> How can I help you? That Sunday afternoon, in July of 2001, Nikki and Bobby busy themselves with wedding preparations and household chores. So it's July 22nd, 2001. We're in Richmond, Virginia. No, we're not. We're in Richmond, Indiana. Keep it in, Henry. Keep it in. Go. Take it again. Take it again. <laughs> it's Sunday afternoon, and Bobby and Nikki are getting married in a couple weeks. So Bobby is going with his cousin to get the cousin's tuxedo sized. And Nikki is going to go do the laundry. And do some wedding prep. So she drops off her daughter Peyton to her mom's house. And Bobby said he was going to go back home to do the wedding invites. Now, girl, this is my thing. I was like, Bobby, you're getting married in three weeks, girl. I know. Don't you have to send the save the date like six months ahead of time? Yeah, and people have plans to plan. They have plane tickets. 
tickets to buy. They didn't have Amazon in 2001. They got to no. go shopping. <laughs> they need to go to Macy's. This was really triggering for me as a planner. I like plans. I like to plan things. I like invites. I like paper products. I was very disappointed in Bobby about that. Very disappointed. Around noon, Nikki heads to her parents to drop off her daughter, Peyton, before going to a nearby laundromat. Girl, we gotta talk about laundromats. Laundromats are the Myrtle Beach of small businesses. <laughs> they, there is, it's very dangerous. My whole thing about laundromats, I've been going to laundromats my whole life. They are terrifying places. Yeah. Laundromats are not safe, you guys. That's evidenced by the fact that there's an entire episode of Disappeared built around somebody's experience in one. A few hours later, Nikki drops by her parents' house again while her clothes are in the dryer. During this visit, Nikki seems agitated. Something was really bugging her. Like, uh, she couldn't throw it off. Can I say one thing about this, too? She probably thought she was agitated because they hadn't sent out their wedding invitations yet, and they should have done it five weeks ago. Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> That's probably it. Okay, go on. Christopher, the narrator, says to us, and I quote, a few hours later, Nikki drops by her parents' house again while her clothes are in the dryer. To which I said, Christopher, girl, I don't think you know how washing machines work. <laughs> It doesn't take hours to wash the clothes, Christopher. Oh, Christopher, what an idiot. <laughs> Christopher, I love you. Christopher, I love you. Come back to us. You have to put in $27 and it runs for four hours. That's how long <laughs> yeah. it takes to wash your clothes. You done washing your clothes? No, one more cycle. <laughs> I had some soy sauce on my pants. <laughs> yeah, do it one more time. One more cycle. It's about two and a half hours worth. I don't think it takes that long, but okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so Nikki tells us, and like, I just fucking hate this stuff. Nikki tells her mom that there are some men hassling her down at the laundromat. Well, I said, well, Nikki, if it's troubling you that much, my washer and dryer is downstairs. Just go get your clothes and bring them here and finish drying them down there. She said, I'll be okay, mom. Who are these men hassling her at the laundromat? And why is nobody intervening to help her? Men. If women don't want to talk to you, right. shh, shh, women, go out of the room for a second. I'm talking to the men. Hold on. <laughs> if women don't want to talk to you, leave them the fuck alone. Why is Honestly, this a conversation? I know. Leave them alone. It just enrages me. And this is the thing is her mom is very sweet, very level-headed, and she offers a solution, and she says, you know what? Come get your shit over here. Dry your stuff at my house. Great. Wonderful. But also, men, you don't have to make women feel like they can't wash their shit at the laundromat. I know. But also, why wasn't she just washing her shit at her mom's house? You know like- why? <laughs> I actually thought that. She probably had a bunch of stuff, and you can bang out like five loads at once. Oh, that's true. And she probably was like catching up, getting her honeymoon clothes together, and she's like, you know what? I'm not going to wash there. I'm going to go whites, darks, delicates, colors. Here we go. <laughs> boom, boom. Right? In, what, in a recent episode, you called me a type A nightmare. Look, I own exactly enough items of clothing to necessitate one wash once a week. I own two shirts, one pair of shorts, and a pair of socks. That's all I got. So I don't know. I'm clearly not the laundry expert that you are. I love that you knew. You're like, why didn't... Oh, I know exactly why. Yeah, she had a lot of laundry, and you don't want to do it load by load. I get it, Nikki. It's just... It's frustrating. Minutes later, Nikki leaves her parents to return to the laundromat. She said, I'll be back, Mom. And I said, okay, and uh, that's it. I have to say something. So her mom was telling us this story about going to the laundromat. You look at her, her eyes are the windows to the soul. You know, Patrick, yeah, that's I've heard that. My, fr- I, my friend Ellen Marsh invented that saying. Yeah. I don't know if She's you know. a boss-ass bitch. <laughs> but do you remember this moment where she was saying about her going back to the laundromat and her mom had this, like, pause in her voice and it was just like loaded with like grief and sorrow and then her mom said that's it and I was like and there was my morning cry like just the way her mom said and that was it every time we tell one of these stories that's the moment and her mom was just that that loaded pause just like took me through it girl why why do we have to do that why does this podcast have to exist I know how many episodes are there again 121 We're here for them, though. We're here for them. Some of them are going to end happy. Some of them are going to end happy. Okay. (laughs) And every now and then, like, an old, awful white guy walks back from Mexico, and we get to drag him to filth for an episode. Oh, wasn't that fun? Wasn't it the most stress-free times? (laughs) I hearken back to the times where an old, stupid white man let us scream at him for two hours. (laughs) 
Uh, not in Breckenridge, honey. My favorite moment of any of our episodes. Because in my mind, you had assembled the committee of drag queens and you were lecturing to them. Not in Breckenridge, honey. You all want to move to Breckenridge, Colorado because now he got to work at 535. At 8 o'clock, no one sees him. At 3 p.m., they yeah. call the police. Right. <laughs> and at 3 p.m., he's named a missing person. To which I'm like, wait, 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 wait. So many stories we hear. You have to wait 48 hours. You have to wait three days. Not in Breckenridge, honey. You don't come back from lunch break. They are calling the cops on you. Oh, God, I love it so much. It's my favorite thing. When Bobby returns from the tuxedo store later that afternoon, Nikki is not yet home. I didn't see the laundry there or my truck. She kicks her sandals off the doorway. And I think that's the first thing I noticed. Her sandals weren't there. But, you know, I just figured that I'd gotten home before she did. He says this thing about how, like, the first thing she always does is kick her sandals off inside the door. And I'm like, ah, it's just one of those details that, like, makes the story feel really lived in. Like, you kind of know these people. This is the beginning of everybody not calling the police right away. This is not Breckenridge, Colorado, you guys. (laughs) They are not moving as fast as they do in Breckenridge. Because he's like, all right, she wasn't home, whatever. Between, like, 6 and 7 p.m., that was when it started to get weird. Still, nobody calls the cops. So something to note, though, is that this is 2001. Right. Not everyone had a cell phone. Like, some people had cell phones, but it just wasn't commonplace back then. So neither Nikki nor Bobby had a cell phone at that time. And the other thing that, like, I I feel like has to be said here and something that I've really learned over the last couple of months. So Nikki is black. Bobby is black. The, the families are black. And I don't mean to put any words in their mouths, but not every feels like calling the police is going to protect them. Yeah, that's a great point. Or that the police are going to help. And I was wondering if that factored into their decision. And it's very much a part of the conversation right now, and it like needs to be said. When Nikki is late to pick up her daughter, Peyton, her mother assumes she's at work. I just said, oh, she's all right. I said, uh, you know how Nikki sometimes, just on the spur of the moment, will jump in her car and go over to Ohio because she worked there? Apparently, According to Nikki's family, sometimes Nikki will just drop everything and go to work for no reason. Yeah, like swing by and say hi. That was confusing yeah. to me. And so like, the, but they're thinking like maybe that's where she is. Like maybe she just like dropped everything, went to work and forgot she was supposed to pick up her daughter. But also remember that she had just gone to the laundromat. I know. So she just left with laundry in quarters. So at her house was her purse and her ID. Like she didn't leave with much. She was just going to like go do this thing, run right. this errand. And so by 10 o'clock, everyone is really concerned but like her sister Michelle is like everybody seemed a little concerned but the last thing we would think that she was missing and I guess when you're in that moment of like no like this isn't actually happening right right so Bobby actually thought she had gotten into a car accident which is Uh. probably where my brain would go especially since she didn't have her ID in her purse so let's say she did get into a car accident there's no way for anyone to easily identify her so why did I say it like that identify like I put the You were on a roll. I wasn't going to stop you. Identify her. Don't forget we have to do our advertisements before we're done. I like to drink from aluminum cans. I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, so they go and they drive along the highway, you guys. They go and, like, look for her car. They're looking for her car. Uh. So then at 2 a.m., they're at super freaked out mode. And their dad, who wasn't interviewed for this documentary, but I guess who is super level-headed, said, let's go to the police. Nikki's father insists the family go to police immediately. When he did that, I knew something was up. Because he was always the one that says, out of all my kids, this is the one I know can handle anything. And they were all like, oh, okay, well, if dad is saying let's go to the police, then like we should go to the police because he's the level-headed one. He's not like Patrick. I need to buy a home in Breckenridge because (laughs) I'm buying a home in Breckenridge, honey, because I would fit right in there. I'm calling the police at 2 in the afternoon if you're not back from lunch. Patrick, you literally... Put something in the Facebook group when I didn't call you in an afternoon. You got thousands of people involved. He's not well. No, I'm not well. When the dad got worried, everyone got worried because the mom tells us that the dad always says about Nikki, like, she's the one that can handle anything. Right. She's the one that'll be fine. The next day they file the missing persons report and the police are like, huh. 
Okay, so she left with just her laundry and some quarters. Right. She doesn't have her purse or her ID. No one knows where her car is. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's not raising red flags to me. <laughs> what? There were no phone calls indicating any trouble. There were no indicators that any harm had, had come to her. Nothing really raised red flags on it. Police instead speculate that Nikki may have voluntarily left her fiancé. I know, and like the cop is going to float this idea that she just was having cold feet for her wedding. Do you ever get the sense that they just don't want to do the looking? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And like, these cops rise to the occasion eventually, and they work really hard for this family, it seems like. But like, in the, initially, this guy just did not want to get involved. It's just so weird because they're a very mild-mannered family. They're not hysterical people. Well, down the road, we get some stories. Right, right. But now, like, yeah. they're explaining that. I'm like, okay, we thought it was weird. Maybe she was shopping. Maybe she was at work. And like, uh, you know, they're not, I'm saying they're not like you where someone doesn't call in five minutes and they're dead. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry that I love you. Should I apologize for caring about you? I mean, you could. there's a lot of things you could apologize for, but I'm not going to like drag you in front of all our friends and family on our podcast. I will say that if you die, Lola will have a happier life with us. I literally dress your daughter. You know how I own one stitch of clothing? Were it not for you, Daisy would own one stitch of clothing. The other night I was looking at her pajama pants and I was like, we really need to get her new pajama pants. I almost texted you and said, can you buy her some more pajama pants? You guys, I saw Daisy wearing the same dress one too many times on Instagram and I went to Target and I bought them $300 worth of clothes. I mean, trust me, he paid me back. I'm not fronting that money, but I was like, she needs these clothes. Thank you. We are just not those gays. We have this beautiful little daughter and you think that we'd be John Bonetting her and we're just not. We're just not those dads. That afternoon, Nikki's family locates a surveillance video taken at a deli near the laundromat. They get their hands on some surveillance footage, which I was like, oh, it wasn't recorded over? I know. Oh, that's so fun for you. How sweet of you to not record over valuable information that we need. Not only that, you can actually make out the person in the video, which was shocking to me. I, My eyes didn't even know what I was seeing. I've never seen anything like this before. All to say, it actually was the most not helpful surveillance footage there's ever been. The Village Pantry did show her stopping in. I think she may have purchased just a Coke or something. At that moment, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. The video adds to the police's impression that nothing is wrong. She also paid for her Coke, like, in quarters, which was just... <laughs> she was doing her laundry, Patrick. I know, I know, I know. She was like, didn't bring her purse or her ID, and she wanted a Diet Coke, and she's like, ugh, I guess I'll use these laundry quarters. <laughs> I mean, it just like, again, like, this is where the police say that they're, they're speculating that she left voluntarily. It's so insulting. I mean, Michelle McMullen did do that. I know. I know. So. It, it does happen. I know. But, no, a- I know what you mean. It should not be the go-to response. I no, 100% no, agree. No, yeah. Like, if someone came to me and said you were missing, I'd be like, no, that bitch is gone. He's dead. Right, no, right. he did not leave on purpose. He's got a good life. <laughs> me, on the other hand, I am flighty. You um, And a flight risk. Yeah. I can imagine you having cash buried all over this country for that day you've decided you just had it. If the cops come to me and they're like, Ellen's missing, I'm like, she Michelle McMullen this shit. She's gone. You're never going to find her, you guys. Do you know where she is? Where? Portland, Maine. She <laughs> loves it there. She loves it she, there. She's living in Portland, Maine as like a woman named Brenda with a Boston, a thick <laughs> Boston accent. Could you imagine if someone was like, are you Ellen Maine Rar? She'd be like, nah, I'm Sharon. <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? Uh, can, I, can I have my Dunkin' Donuts in peace, you freaking creep magnet. These creep magnets thinking I'm Ellen Marsh. They're like, uh, you look exactly like her, ma'am. No, I freaking don't. That girl's got eyebrows for days. But then I'm like standing there. I'm like, Ellen, they brought me with them. I can see you. Who are you? Who are you, chubby McChub pants? <laughs> That's how you get me to run screaming out of Portland. It's not her. It's not her. Who's that chubby girly man you got with you? <laughs> looks like a looks like a right pain in the ass. Is that Elton John? Good accent, Patrick. Leave the accents to me. Go take a seat. Go take several seats. Nikki's sister decides to make her job the test. I knew she didn't miss work. Work was Nikki's life. If Nikki doesn't show up at the Montgomery pre-release center in Dayton, then something awful has happened. It buzzed me in. 
And I came in, said, have she showed up for work yet? They said, no, we haven't seen Nikki. At that moment, I broke down. I started crying my eyes out. Oh my God, what's happened to Nikki? And her sister, who is so sweet, we yeah. actually hear from her sister quite a bit. She went herself to the prison that she worked at and said, well, this is it. She's not here. And she started bawling, crying. I love that the sister's thought is like, you know, I could see her ditching her fiance. Right. <laughs> I could see her ditching her kid. I could see her ditching the family, but there is no way she's not going to show up to work. There's no way. <laughs> she's got to crunch those numbers, Ellen. Right. That's the most important thing in the world to her and so the sister's like she's not at work like something's definitely wrong for police nikki's failure to show up at work also raises a red flag that started the process we put investigators out checking hotels start making phone calls so they start the investigation by asking people at the laundromat not for nothing i get that there's some place you have to start but no one's paying attention to anyone else no Everyone is in a fight for their life at the laundromat. Yeah. You got to stay alive in there, you guys. So futile. Everyone's like looking up at that one TV that's playing one telenovela in the corner. (laughs) And like nobody is paying attention. Nikki's cell phone and bank accounts also lead nowhere. And a helicopter search over Richmond and Dayton fails to find Nikki's missing vehicle. They also do a helicopter search over Richmond and Dayton looking for her car. This was so bananas to me because we see the aerial footage from the helicopter. How are they going to identify her car that way? That does not seem efficient. What What? What should we do? I don't know. Get a helicopter. And look for what? I don't know. Her car. What kind of car does she have? I don't know. A black one. That sounds like a great plan. A helicopter? What are you talking about? I don't the whole know. point of being in a helicopter is to be thousands of feet in the air. You can't see a car from there. Oh, uh, so because that didn't amount to anything, they named the fiance as a suspect. Now, please don't take the tone of voice that makes it sound like it's a ridiculous idea. Okay. Because this very handsome guy does a lot of really dumb shit. Go ahead. Tell them the dumb shit he does. I didn't watch the documentary. You know I didn't. I know- <laughs> The only reason I was surprised is because Bobby is with us. He's, like, been in the documentary so far. He's, like, doing a two-camera interview. And he's not from behind glass. And he's not from from behind glass. In the days after Nikki's disappearance, Bobby Webster's actions strike investigators as suspicious. The day after she goes missing, he calls the community college where Nikki was taking classes and wants to collect her unused tuition money. Right off the bat, he calls the college and wanting all of her college money. The cop tells us that he got so irate with the guy or the lady on the phone that the, the person had to be like, I'm getting my manager, sir. Please do not raise your voice to me. The manager gets on the phone and has to explain to Bobby, there's no money, girl, that her job is paying for this. So that's point number one. This is within days of her going missing. Then we find out that on Wednesday, he goes to the jewelry store and tries to take back the wedding rings that she had purchased Uh, for him. He goes to the jewelry store and tries to sell back the wedding rings that she bought for him. And I'm going, ooh, like if you could have seen me watching this, it was like this, ooh, what? He did what? Like, ooh, girl! You have no more pearls left. You clutched them all. The pearls are all gone, and then... By midweek, police say, Bobby Webster has canceled the wedding and demanded the deposit back. He cancels the wedding and demands the deposit back. Now, look, he's got answers for all of this. I don't think he did it. I just think that he was living in a time before true crime podcasts and documentaries let us all know that the husband is immediately the first suspect. <laughs> right. And that girl, just wait a couple more days. Yeah. Like, this shit looks suspicious, no? It does. It looks suspicious, and the only reason I'm not suspicious is because I do know the answer, and his answers for everything actually kind of track for me. Uh-huh. So it should be said the family is super suspicious at this point, and the family shuts him out completely. Yeah, yeah. So he says... I never told anyone it was even canceled. But at that time, it's obvious the last thing on my mind is this wedding. I want Nikki, and then the wedding is second to that. He also denies trying to wring money out of Nikki's college. Yes, I inquired about her student loan, but I wasn't trying to get it. The ring, he says, was returned for good reason. 
I just wanted the deposit back to buy a cell phone because we didn't have one at the time and there was so much running around involved. I just thought that might be a tool that would help us. So the thing about it is, and I just have it in my notes, girl, I believe you. Could you have waited 10 days? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Could you have waited? Or at the very least, could you have called the family? They seem reasonable. Like the fact that he didn't have a cell phone and was trying to get one because he thought that would make the search easier totally makes sense to me. Yeah. And like, even though he failed the polygraph and tried to sell back the wedding ring and was like selling her clothes on eBay in five minutes, there's not enough evidence to even like name him an actual suspect. And the family is pissed. The family thinks that the cops aren't doing their jobs. You guys, they take the law into their own hands. People would tell us Nikki's in this house and the whole family would get in a car and go there and it'd get really, really chaotic because we're like wanting to kick the door in and stuff. Yeah, and we, we see this kind of B-roll of, like, people getting arrested. Like, maybe they were making citizens' arrests or saying they were cops or say I don't know what they were doing, but listen, let me tell you what her mom says. And her mom, I know. Uh, I know. trust me, I, she said, We may have stepped on a few people's feet. I'm not going to apologize for that because I was trying to find my baby. I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> But also, why do people do that? Why would somebody call this fucking family that's already been traumatized and pretend to know where their missing daughter is? Why do people do that? We've talked about that before, that emotional up and down when they think something is going to come, they think somebody is in a leak, they go, they put their hopes. It's sick. It's disgusting. I hate it. Then, three and a half months after Nikki disappears... There's a stunning break in the case. So it's November 3rd, 2001, 7.30 a.m., right? It's four months later. She's been missing for four months. And you guys, they find her car. They find her car in Dayton, Ohio. So they find her car in an apartment complex parking lot. It's called Meadows of Cat... Cat oh, I thought I wrote it down, but I think I wrote it down wrong. <laughs> Oh, you're so cute. Um, <laughs> it's in an apartment complex parking lot. They open the car. The laundry is there. Wait, I, excuse me. We're going to blow over the fact that she's been missing for four months. They open the door to the car. The fucking folded laundry is still there in the basket on the passenger seat. That raised the hair on my arms. I literally just said that <laughs> sentence, but with less exclamation points. And not only did I say it, you cut my thought off and okay. you just re-said the same things <laughs> in a more lady voice than me. What? I don't understand where we're going with this. All right, say something more about the laundry. Drive home the point that the la- that's fucking creepy. Th- Drive it home, Ellen. Everything is how she left it four months ago. The laundry in the front of the apartment complex. And we're going to find out why this apartment complex is freaky and terrifying and all ties back to what is going to happen. Amazingly, though Nikki disappeared almost four months earlier, police find her laundry. It's still inside the car. Richmond police tow the car back to Indiana and put it through a battery of tests. As Christopher is telling this to us, the narrator, we see them processing this enormous truck with a Q-tip. To which I said, we've got to be able to be more efficient than that. Am I wrong? You're looking for three miles up for the car. Now you're processing this entire car with a one-inch Q-tip? Why? You're right. You're right. When you're right, I say you're right and you're right. Okay? Okay. So we're introduced to a gentleman by the name of Tommy Swint. Ugh. Turns out that Tommy Swint is someone that we learned lives a couple blocks away from where the car was found. He and Nikki have a complicated relationship. He once had a complicated relationship with Nikki. First of all, I hate that fucking phrase. When people use a complicated relationship, this is what I think. I think the man thinks that there is a chance for them to have some kind of sexual relationship and the woman has very completely and accurately and decisively friend zoned them. I know people don't like that word, but made it clear that they only want to be friends with the man and he's like yeah no it's complicated it's not complicated the woman is in another relationship you want more from her and so you're saying it's complicated it's not complicated that is the hill I'm going to die on detectives quickly discover that Nikki and Tommy Swint had conflicting ideas about their friendship he was more like a big brother to her but in his eyes I think that he was looking at her in a different light than she was looking at him They also learned that Tommy Swint had a violent streak. Then we find out the sister tells us about a moment that she walks in on this guy trying to rape Nikki. She goes to visit her sister one day. She walks in. 
Her sister is screaming bloody murder. She's got her foot on this guy's chest as he's trying to rape her. And she's not inferring this. Her sister, Nikki, is screaming, he's trying to rape me. He's trying to rape me. So then, like, in going back into how this guy was introduced to us, it's not complicated. Thank you. He's a fucking rapist. Thank you. He's an attempted rapist. There's only one word to describe him until we get to the murder part. Then there's two words to describe him. Can I just address the 12 men who listen to this podcast for one moment? Do you mind? Do you want the 10 gay ones to leave? The 10 gay ones should leave, yes. Okay, so the two straight men who listen to this podcast. Hi, Christopher. Good to see you, girl. If a woman doesn't want to have sex with you, yeah. stop what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> if a woman wants to have sex with you and changes her mind, yeah. stop what you're doing. If you think a woman wants to have sex with you, but you aren't 1,000% sure, uh-huh. stop what you're doing. If a woman doesn't unequivocally say that she wants to have sex with you if you push a woman to physically have sex with you if you push a woman to mentally have sex with you and she doesn't want to have sex with you that is rape yes so stop yeah thank you for coming to ellen's ted talk sponsored by patrick hines and the obsessed network um, you guys, Ellen stepped out for a pint. She uh, went to the bar. So I'm going to do this one on my own while uh, Ellen gets a little saucy. You guys, I want to tell you about a podcast I'm obsessed with. It's called Red Handed. It's a British true crime podcast. And I met one of the hosts, Truthy, on a call with Patreon last week. And I instantly became obsessed with her and asked her if we could be best friends. And she said, no, but we could do ads for each other on our podcast. And I said, okay, I love you. Just kidding. She said we could be best friends. You guys, these talking points are so perfectly British, and I'm going to do my best to um, translate. Red Handed is a British true crime podcast of murder, wit, and what the Fs. I think that means fucks. What the fucks, you guys. Which delves into a brand new fascinating case every single week. The hit podcast just landed silver place at the British Podcast Awards 2020 thanks to the legion of fans they have built up over the past three years. Congratulations, you guys! You guys, Red Handed is a podcast that will have you crying, raging, and laughing. Sometimes all at the same time. Hosts Hannah and Sruthy just keep it real. They make it feel like you're down the pub with your mate who's incredibly and inexplicably, for some reason, super well-informed with a new true crime story every single week. By mate, I think they mean friend, you guys. Not like... Not like the person that you, like, share your bed with, necessarily. Maybe maybe that person, too. Red Handed never shies away from a case, no matter how controversial, and they specialize in analyzing the real-world political, social, and cultural aspects of true crime, as well as the psychological motivations driving the more extreme of human behavior. Find Red Handed wherever you listen to your podcasts. You guys, Red Handed is super popular in the Britain. I am obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with the hosts. So go listen! God! Uh, so, remember, her car was found, like, just miles from where this creep lives. So now the cops want to talk to him, but he's not cooperating. Now, detectives want to talk to Swint. But Swint will not cooperate. And without specific evidence, police cannot force him to do anything. And they have no evidence, so they can't arrest him. He's named a person of interest, which, like, technically means they would like to speak to him about this. But they can't go any further because there's no evidence. No one knows where she is. But just as the trail threatens to go completely cold... A revelation rocks the case. It's August 30th, 2007. She's been missing for six years. I got a temper tantrum, a brewing like the <laughs> likes of which you've never seen. Let's go. Come on. So Christopher, the narrator, tells us that Richmond detectives received some shocking news. It concerns Tommy Swint, the man who worked with Nikki and once threatened her. Christopher describes him as the man who worked with Nikki and once threatened her, to which I said, Christopher, sweetheart, you didn't get the memo. We're just calling him the rapist, the attempted rapist. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Um, you. Christopher, girl, I'm just giving you a hard time. I know you don't write your copy. So Tommy Swint Rapey Magoo, we learn, you guys, is a fucking cop. And he it's not that he would have been a cop all along. Since being named a person of interest in this disappearance, he got a job as a cop in a town called Trotwood. Trotwood. <laughs> so just a quick recap. He attempted to rape a woman. He's known for having a volatile and a bad temper and now he has a badge and a gun. Great. Just so we're on the same page. But like the detectives back in, in Nikki's hometown, they're like, girl, no. So they call that other town and they're like, girl, this guy's like, he's a bad guy and he's like a person of interest. The cops in the town that hired him 
him, basically say to him, you got to quit or we're going to fire you. So he quits. And then the audacity of this bitch, he sues them. Stung by his downfall, Swint responds by suing the city of Richmond and its police department. Does anyone have any questions for Mr. Swint? At a press conference, Swint and his lawyer maintain that police never conclusively told him he was a person of interest in their investigation. He was never identified as a suspect, never identified as a person of interest, never charged with a crime, never accused of being someone who was involved in anything of that nature. He was interviewed because this was a friend of his that he knew. And so put a pin in this. This lawsuit is important, and we'll come back to it in a minute. So this lawsuit drums up a lot of media attention about this guy, Tommy Swint. So then they get an anonymous tip regarding a murder that happened 16 years ago, a murder of a different woman by the name of Tina Marie, who was actually a sex worker in Dayton, Ohio. Okay, buckle up. We meet my new down bitch, Patty Tackett. We get a call from Dayton Police Department, one of their detectives that works cold case homicides. It's Detective Patty Tackett. It was an anonymous tip that called in and they just stated that we might want to look at him as a suspect. Gave very limited information, but just to the fact that we needed to look at him as a possible suspect. Uh, I just made a note that she's got the best name in policing. Her name is Detective Patty Tackett. Yeah. Say it a million times, girl. Detective Patty Tackett. Detective Patty Tackett. Who's I- on the case? Who's Detec- on the case? It's Patty Detec- Tackett. It's Patty Tackett. <laughs> Patty Tackett. <laughs> She is my new down bitch, you guys. Just wait. So as I said, 16 years before a body was found in the forest, a woman was found strangled, wrapped in a blanket. And we see crime scene footage of them like discovering this body. Yeah. To which I said, we do not need to see this footage. Yeah. We do not need to see it. Oh my God. It was very upsetting. So it was when men were cutting down some trees in the forest, they found this woman. Because they're described as forest workers, to which I said, Girl, what's a forest worker? They work in the forest. Are they elves? No. (laughs) No, there's people who take care of the trees and the leaves and the bugs. You're so cute. Uh, Are they elves? Let's say her name. Her name was Tina Marie Ivory. She was 33 years old. She was found strangled. Patty, my down bitch, explained that they took some of the DNA from the blanket. Yeah. But then she explains to us, which actually I kind of needed a reminder of this. She says, you know... (laughs) We can get DNA for anything, but that shit's only good if we have a match. We can get DNA off of a victim or from a homicide scene, but that DNA is only as good as if we do have the suspect's DNA. There were no suspects in the Ivory case. So no match for the DNA profile. But now they have a suspect in this guy, Tommy Swint. And so they're like, we have DNA of the killer. In order for us to be able to see if it's Tommy, we got to get his DNA. And this is where that lawsuit comes back in. Exactly. That was the importance of the lawsuit because the lawsuit pinged someone's memory or triggered someone's memory. And they were like, hey, that's the piece of shit who murdered the sex worker 16 years ago in Dayton. Let me tell you about it. The other thing about it was that during this lawsuit, that, that guy, Tommy Swint, was saying to the press and anyone who would listen, I'm cooperating fully in this investigation into the disappearance of Nikki. And the cops were like, oh, if you're if you're cooperating fully, why don't you let us get a DNA sample of you, girl? So he's like, fine. So Patty Tackett in Dayton, who got the anonymous tip that this guy, Tommy, is probably the guy that killed this woman that they found 16 years ago, she calls the other cops and is like, girl, can we have that DNA that you just got and test it? And they do, and it's a match. It's a match, you guys. Uh, by the way, I'm taking DNA samples of everyone from now on, like the pizza <laughs> delivery guy, the nice lady who does my nails. Like, who knew? Who knows what DNA is going to come in handy? Detectives have matched Swint's DNA to DNA from the Tina Marie Ivory crime scene. But they still need to tie Swint directly to her murder. Just because you have DNA on a body doesn't make that person the person that murdered her. You have to get more evidence that puts Tommy Swint's DNA there. Detectives must place Swint at the scene of the crime. My down bitch Patty is like, Ellen, calm down. Are you new here? Just because we have a DNA match doesn't mean that person is the murderer. You need evidence. Calm down. I'm like, okay, Patty. Sorry, I got excited there. Then they were like, oh, you know what we have? We have the tape that they used to wrap 
the blanket in. Fuck you guys. Dayton is not messing around with their evidence in their crime lab. No. So they go to this 16-year-old tape, withdraw the fingerprints, which they didn't have the technology to do 16 years prior. So what they do is so they get the fingerprint from the tape. So now they've got a fingerprint of the killer. Now they've got to get the fingerprint of this guy, Tommy. You guys, sit down. Tommy, move to Alabama. Dayton detectives travel to Alabama to obtain Tommy Swint's fingerprints. Their prime suspect has recently relocated south. We went down and actually did a traffic stop on him in order to bring him to the uh, police station in Alabama to get his fingerprints. He was cooperative, you know, he gave them to us. They bring him into the police station where they fingerprint him. So while they have him, they bring him into like an interview room where Patty Tackett, you guys, this is her big 11 o'clock number. Oh my God. So it's November 17th, 2009, the day of this traffic stop. They bring him into this interrogation room and they question him and it is it is very awkward. It's like everyone is having a contest to see who can speak the quietest. I mean, wait, <laughs> let me just tell you, Patty, my down bitch, she is nonchalant. I, I would be chalant as fuck. <laughs> like, I, like, why am I so chalant? Like, I, I don't know why I'm so chalant. She is nonchalant. What well, if I told you we had your DNA offer? Do you believe it? No, I don't believe it. And the reason is, is because what about <clears throat> you killed her? Tell me that. That you killed her. Are you stating that I killed her? I'm asking you, did you kill oh, no. her? Uh-uh. Okay, if I'm telling you that we have evidence that says that you did. What would you say if we said we had a match to this DNA? And he does something that all liars do. Did you notice this? He answers questions with questions. Oh, no. You know a lot about liars, girl. Yeah. Honey, listen. (laughs) Liars are always going to answer questions with questions. Did you kill someone? Did I kill someone? I know. Yeah, bitch. That's what I I just said. Answer my question with an answer, not with more questions. All he does is answer questions with questions. The first question he says, is what? Uh, say what? I know. You heard. No, yeah. you heard. You heard. Wait, does Patty have a song called You Heard? And Patty was like, nah, bitch, you heard what I said. I said you killed her. He was like, what? I was like, you killed her. Your mic work is impeccable. Your mic work is really impeccable, girl. Okay, anyway, go on. Uh, I'm so here for Patty. I'm here for Patty all day long. So then Patty basically says to him, actually, girl, we have evidence that you killed this girl. And he goes, okay, I hear you. I appreciate you. I know what your job is. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to end this interview. I'm going to have to bring it to a close. So back in Dayton, we got the fingerprints. Yeah. Do you know what it is? A match, girl? It's a match. (laughs) It was a match. The the fingerprints that were on the tape did belong to Tommy Swint. For Dayton detectives, the fingerprint match triggers an arrest warrant for Tommy Swint. So, guys, we're going to wrap it up because it wraps up real, real easy. Just to be clear about the timeline, they interview him. They tell him that, girl, we know you did this. And he's like, I'm going to leave now. And they don't have enough evidence in the moment to hold him. So he leaves. So a couple days later is when they get the match. A couple days later is when they get the fingerprint match. And they get a warrant for his arrest. They're right. able to indict him for the murder. Yes, exactly. And so he's living in Alabama. They send cops to his house. And the cops are like literally opening the door to their cop cars, walking up the steps and they hear a shot. They heard a gunshot and they went into the house. Police break down the door and find Swint on the floor, a gun in his hand. They had found that Tommy had taken actually taken his life. Genuinely. I'm, I'm, I am not exaggerating. My mouth was open I when I heard the end of that story. And listen, I just want to say that clinical depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, mental illness can cause people to do many things that they would never do had they not been ill. And that includes dying by suicide. So yeah. in most instances, weakness has nothing to do with suicide. But this man was a fucking coward. Yeah. And I mean, we learned that he took his own life and it cuts to the detective that's like on the Nikki case. And he's like, we were pissed. We're instantly pissed. We're angry. 
you know, our one one shot that we we thought we had of finally finding out, getting a conclusion to Nikki McCowan is up in smoke. The family of Nikki says the most lovely thing. They say, you know, we're so happy for the Ivory family, for yeah. Tina Marie's family, that they get that closure. I mean, 16 years later, I know. you know, that mother can sleep at night at least having some kind of closure. So, And then the McCowan family, Nikki's family, is, I mean... Of course he did it. Right, he's of a course, piece of, of shit. Course, yeah, he's an aggressive, yeah. raping, murdering man. Yeah. But for him to never face the music and never face a judge and never face a trial. And, and never give them any answers. Like yeah. Tell them where her remains are so that yeah. they can have some closure. Piece of shit. Absolute piece of shit. Yeah. So that's the end of the story. And Did you Goog? Is there any news? No. There was an article in March of 2020 that I found and it said that there still was no body and that her remains have not been found, but they do consider it a closed case and they do consider it a homicide. Season two, episode three. Girl, tell them about the Facebook group. Well, my name's Sharon. I'm from Pratt Smith, Maine. I just wanted to pop into this podcast to say you can join the Facebook group. It's called Obsessed with Disappeared. I don't know why they named it that. What's this podcast called? Sh- uh, sorry, Sharon. It's Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. Oh, why is it? Well, what's the, what's the podcast called? Oh, Obsessed with Disappeared. So the Facebook group is just named what the podcast is named, and then but then added on um, podcast discussion group. Uh, yeah, yes. All right. Well, that's. Shouldn't be very hard for someone to remember. I couldn't imagine anyone not remembering that for six to eight weeks. That would be weird. So uh, come and join us in the Facebook discussion group. Also, uh, follow them on Instagram. You guys got one of those Instagram where you put the at and then you put the thing. What's the thing called? It's the disappeared pod, Sharon. All right. Well, I don't have Instagram. Um, You can find me on my MySpace page. It's called Sharon Bag of Bones. You guys, every Friday night at 6 p.m., we go live on the Instagram. Uh, It's Friday Night Live. We hang out. We get to hang out with you guys. Join us. It's really very fun and hilarious. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes, do that. If you love us, write a sentence. Tell us what you love about us. If you don't love us, just don't don't write anything. Right. Don't write anything. (laughs) Yeah, tell a friend, you guys. We're growing our listenership. I love it so much. Tag us in your Insta stories. That's my new favorite thing that people are doing. They do that. They do the Insta stories. You don't run the Instagram page though so how would you you just you just see it sometimes i do sometimes i do yeah i need to say i need to change that password anyway <laughs> tag us in your instagram stories can you get sharon back over sharon was much kinder to me i'm having a lager what do you need <laughs> i'm at my favorite brew pub <laughs> she's at her favorite brew pub leave her alone sharon open invitation welcome anytime girl um we love you guys thank you for going on this journey with us thank you for all your messages your dms your tweets your twats we love you yeah <laughs> I love you, girl. I love you, too. Why do we do what we do? I I love you so much. All right, bye. Bye. I. This is not a lie. Lola has one of her best friends is one of four, and they do all have the first initial K, and she calls them K1, K2, K3, K4. <laughs> that is not a lie. That is not a lie. I, I still don't have laundry in my apartment unit. We have it in the building, finally. I am not a young person. Do you know most of our listeners are probably in, like, the Midwest and have big, sprawling homes? I know. And they just dropped I their know. oatmeal on the ground. <laughs> she looks like a mouthy pain in the ass, that one. <laughs> my name's Sharon. Sharon. <laughs> 